The kids are dismissed for Children's Church. The rest of us will be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Exodus. We are done. Well, not done with Acts, but we are on a break. Off to a good start. All right. And we're going to start off with the contemporary version of our passage. So, and that's in the form of video. Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Uh, Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it so you can all coexist in here. Eat it. your system Okay. Thank you. Better. Better. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat? You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. So, that's the message translation of today's text. Just, just kidding. Um, but I think that was, as I was preparing for today's sermon, that's the only thing that I kept thinking of was those Snickers commercials where someone is acting crazy when they're hungry. And that's what we're going to be at today. Uh, two weeks ago, we left off, Pastor Lou left off, um, with God showing all of Egypt who he was and he was responding to the question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Um, God was responding to Pharaoh's question to him. And we saw the power and the grace of God in the plagues and the Passover. And chronologically this morning, it would make sense for me to follow right after that and show the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and all that good stuff. But we're actually doing a little bit of a fast forward to chapter 16 this morning. When Pastor Lou returns next week, uh, he'll fill in the gap between where I'm at today and where he left off. Um, but I do have terrific news for you. If you're dying to know what happened, I know where you can find it. Um, the book came out a few years ago. Um, I think you can find it just about any place. So if you're itching to know, there's hope. You can read it. Um, but for now, we'll find ourselves in chapters 16 and 17, the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. The God, Lord God has performed mighty and many miraculous miracles to bring them where they're at today. And if we were to just read chapter 16 and chapter 17 in the beginning, in like a vacuum, you would think that God did something terrible. You would think that God ripped the Israelites from this paradise and brought them into this prison uh, because we see hostility. We see them acting crazy in their hunger and their thirst. And we see an eight impatient people who want what they want and they wanted it yesterday. That's what we're going to see this morning. And what we're not going to see is we're not going to see God just strike them dead or, or smite them or in, inflict them with uh, serious trouble. We see God patiently deal with their impatience and provide perfectly for that their needs. And if we look closely at the text this morning, I think what will hopefully, it's my hope that the pages of the text will turn from just pages with words, and I think what will happen, as it did for me as I was preparing, is it turns more into a crystal clear mirror, and we end up seeing ourselves in the place of Israel. And we'll see that it's not only God dealing with Israel's impatience, but we see God patiently deals with our impatience 
and provides perfectly for our needs. That's my main point this morning. I will be saying that a lot, hopefully by the end. We'll all have it memorized. And I'll be looking at today's text through three headings. Hunger, thirst, satisfaction. And uh, with that said, let's just dive right into it. Picking it up in the beginning of, actually, we'll look at a map first. Maps are good. Maps are my friend. I always use a map to show you where we're at before we pick it up at the beginning of chapter 16. So they were up here in Egypt. They've made their way down across the Red Sea right there. And we find ourselves here in the wilderness of sin. Now, most people would probably assume it's called the wilderness of sin because there was a whole heck of a lot of sinning happening in the wilderness. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, People think, I mean, that probably was happening. I'm not going to lie. It's a fallen world. There's sin happening everywhere, so we might as well call the earth of sin. Um, But it's most likely called the wilderness of sin because of being in the region of Sinai, which is right here. And we'll see couple weeks we'll be at Mount Sinai Moses receiving the Ten Commandments but for right now we're in this wilderness and then we'll move our way down to Rephidim where we'll end in chapter 17 so that's where we're at and if we pick it up here at verses 2 and 3 we'll see that Israel is in the desert they are hungry they've been out of Egypt for a little over a month but we'll see that they're very much still back in Egypt themselves So, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of people grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Hmm. So, I mean, that's all. You read that and you just go, huh. So they would rather be back in Egypt than where they're at now. In Egypt, they were slaves. Now they're not. But they'd rather be there around meat pots, which are pots of meat, which just sounds, it does sound, it's not gross. I don't know, a pot of meat. There's a lot of meat. Um, so that sounds pretty good, but I don't want to forget the fact that they were slaves. I mean, no pot of meat is so good that, you want to be a slave for it. Um, Tim Keller says that the people get out of people can get out of slavery in an instant, but you can't get the slavery out of the people except through a long process. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for probably about 400 years. Think about that: 400 years of being a generation of nothing but slaves. That's a long time. Generation after generation after generation born into slavery. This is what they knew. Uh, Inside, whether they liked it or not, that that was what they identified with. That's who they were. They probably had this head knowledge of, we are Israel, we are God's children, we are God's chosen people. They probably had that head knowledge, but inside, they were still slaves back in Egypt. That's who they were. And I feel like already this is probably something we can relate with with Israel. We have this head knowledge that Christ is Savior, that He has redeemed us, but sometimes inside, we have those feelings of guilt rise up, those echoes of the past that creep in, and they cloud our identity in Christ. 
Memories of the past so skewed that we think, you know, I'd rather be back sinning the way I was than where I am now. We would think that that is more freeing than being in relationship with Christ. I think Pastor Perry had a great, just a great illustration last week when he said, there's a, there's a train that's derailed from its tracks. Is that really a train that's free? Freed from the tracks that keep it going in the right direction. Is it really freeing for the Israelites to go back to Egypt into slavery? It's important each day that we preach the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves we have been made new in Christ. It's not enough to have a head knowledge. It's easy to have a head knowledge about a lot of things. But has the gospel, has the good news of Jesus completely grabbed you and worked from the inside out in you? You find your identity in Christ. The Israelites were living in a delusion that Egypt was somehow actually pretty good. And they wanted to go back to that good life and die there instead of where they were. Well, I do want to remind everyone of what exactly the good life was. Exodus 1.11 Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. 1.13 So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That doesn't sound good. I don't care how much meat is tossed at me. I, I, they made their lives bitter with hard service. This is not, this is not just like employment where it's like, well, I need to work to earn food. Like, that's normal. But when like a boss is, you're, not even your boss, it's your master, is just making you work as hard as you can, make you bitter, ruthlessly driving you, that's not the good life. At what cost did they eat from the meat pots? At what cost were they eating bread to the full? They were delusional, right? And God sees that. God is a mighty God, an omnipotent God. He sees it, and He's a just God. But He's also a gracious and a merciful God. And rather than sending them back to Egypt to go back to oppression under Pharaoh, as a loving father, He patiently deals with their impatience. Not through... As I said earlier, not through smiting them, not through shooting down lightning bolts, which we might see some today, you never know, but showing them once again who exactly has their back. Uh, now I'm going to read a big chunk of chapter 16 here. If you have your Bibles, follow along. And if you don't, if you don't know, we do have Bibles in the back. So if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, I can't put everything up on the screen, so I just selected some highlights as we read through. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to read all the way verse 4 through verse 15, and we're going to see uh, what the Lord does for these grumbling people. Picking it up in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay on the ground around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So Israel, complaining like crazy, saying the Lord took them out of Egypt only to kill them in the desert. So God graciously graciously says, you want bread? You want meat? Okay, I'll make that happen. And in the middle of the desert, the middle of nowhere, he makes quail cover the land. And in the morning creates this manna So he hears their grumble and instead raises them one giant miracle. Israel could eat food without being oppressed. That's the good life. The good life is is being able to know that we can trust in God. He's going to provide for our need. We don't have to be slaves in order just to eat food. God is their provider. And he doesn't just give them food on their plates. He, he supplies the food, but he's still teaching them something. He's teaching them responsibility. He's giving them food. He's putting it outside. They still have to get it themselves. They still have to follow according to the instruction of the Lord. He's not just giving them like a handout, like, boom, you're full. He, they still need to work for their food. They still need to take responsibility to go out and get it. So God doesn't just give it to them. He gives it to them with a lesson, which is always more beneficial, I think. And these are the instructions he gives. So if they, they want to eat, this is what he's telling them. Verse 16 through 19. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. I'm going to move down to verse 22 to 26. So on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, 
And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and did, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. That's always a good thing. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. These are pretty, pretty basic instructions. As I read through the passage, I felt like if I was there, I would get what he was trying to say. Every day, if you want to eat, there will be bread. Go outside and get it. But get enough for that day. Friday will come. Go out and get double that. And you'll be able to eat Saturday. That's all there is to it. It's pretty easy instructions. And what that basically just means is they need to rely on God day after day and follow His command. I think of the Wizard of Oz. I'm assuming everyone's seen or at least heard the story of this. Oh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert if you've been living under a rock. Or if you're a child, I guess, because maybe you haven't seen it. But um, think of the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy gets whisked away to the magical land of Oz and... She needs, she wants to go home. So in order to get home, she needs to go to Oz because she needs to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. And in order to get to the wizard, there's one thing she needs to do, and that would be follow the yellow brick road. Right? I mean, that's, that's all there is. That's all the munchkins. They tell her repeatedly, follow the yellow brick road over and over again. That's all she needs to do. She follows the yellow brick road. She gets to Oz. I mean, it's, it's that easy. If she didn't follow the yellow brick road, she wouldn't get to Oz. It's very, very simple. I think of it in practical day terms, driving someplace. We live in an age of having a million resources to figure out where you need to go and how to get there. There's GPS. There's those old trusty things called maps. We have those. We have Google and MapQuest where you can get the printed out turn-by-turn instructions. So many people have cell phones, would have the GPS built into them. I mean, there are so many ways to get from point A to point B if you just follow the directions given. But I think we all know that there are those people out there, despite all the resources, just go, I got this. I know, I know where I'm going. It's south. I'll go south. I'll find it. I've been to that area one time a couple years ago. I'll make it. And then soon enough, you get the phone call. Yeah, I'm, uh, must have missed the turn. I'm lost. Can you give me some directions and help me out? We've, we all know someone like that. And if you just follow the directions, if you would just take the directions, you'd make it from point A to point B. Israel, would you like meat and bread? Okay, just follow the instructions. Follow, or trust me, every day to provide for your needs. I told you, I told you I would get you out of Egypt, and I did. Do you trust me? I parted the Red Sea and wiped out Pharaoh's army. We'll see that next week. Do you trust me? I took bitter and undrinkable water and made it sweet to the taste and satisfying. Do you trust me? That story is in chapter 15, right before this one. 
15, 16, and 17 really do tie together. Um, so if you're in a community group, that would be a good thing to discuss, seeing how these things connect. Um, but all these things that God's doing, that's just a reminders of, do you trust me? I've done this. Trust me. God's desire is that they trust him and follow his command. Do you trust me enough to give you food every day? Tim Keller puts it, again, wonderfully. Don't go to God simply for what you need, but go to God as what you need. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. God keeps bringing Israel to these places in order to just teach them reliance on Him. Do they need food? Yes, absolutely. They were starving. They needed, they needed food there in the middle of the desert. But was food just going to appear out of nowhere aside from the work of God? No. They needed Him to supply the need. They needed God's provision. So what happens if they don't trust and obey Him? Well, we also see that. Verses 19 and 20 and verse 27. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. In verse 4, God told Moses that he was giving them this food, but it was going to be a test. He was going to test them. He wanted to see if they would trust and obey in his law and his commands. Inevitably, they fail the test. They're flawed humans, like you, like me, all of us, they fail the test. As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. God provided with the most basic of instructions but Israel still failed to listen, like I do, a lot. Some of the Israelites, they try to like do like a Sam's Club shopping in the manna fields and try to stock up for the next six years um, at a good rate. Um, and it breeds worms, and it stinks. If I see a little piece of mold on a piece of bread, like I go, Ugh, and I throw out the loaf, like this had worms coming out of it the next day. That is gross. Makes you want to just listen and obey the Lord's command. And then on Friday it comes. And, you know, they're thinking that, you know, I'm going to be lazy today. Tomorrow I'll just go out and get some food. God said it wouldn't be there, but it'll be there. There's no food in the field. Why? Because God said he wouldn't put it there. Gather twice as much. And so again, like God, like the good, perfect teacher He is, He doesn't just kick Israel to the curb upon failing. Thank goodness He didn't. And thank goodness He is a good and perfect God and does the same thing for us. Because how many times do we know, I shouldn't, but I do it anyway. God, the Bible says this, God says this. Ah, who cares? And He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't just let us go, kick us to the curb. After one mistake, he doesn't say, you failed, I'm done. See ya. Go back to Egypt, have a good life. By the way, good luck crossing the Red Sea without me. He doesn't do that. If we go down to verse 35. Look what it says. It says, the people of Israel ate manna 
40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Time after time, we see Israel fail. But God patiently provides for them for 40 years. Not providing what they want, easy food, easy living, but rather He gives them perfectly what they need. So we see magnificently the grace of God in these verses. He could have dropped them like a bad habit, but He doesn't. Day after day, manna is given. God's children are sustained in the wilderness. God patiently deals with their impatience and provides perfectly for their needs. That's what He does, and He continues to do it in different ways. Not always in our timetable, not always the way we think it should go. We have our plans, but sometimes those are just like so far off from where they need to be. It's crazy. But he, he does it. He meets the need according to his perfect and sovereign will. Did Israel need food? Absolutely. But what did they need more? They needed to learn to trust in God to be their provider. Food would have been provision but food plus a lesson in who God was is perfect provision. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, He said, And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Did you not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's about trusting it's about putting aside our master plans. It's, it's about putting side, aside our tendency to want to like be MacGyver and get out of whatever situation we can using only, oh, I, I actually have them in here, a paper clip. That was not planned. That was awesome. But that's, that's what that means. We need to live by the Word of God. And that's tough because what it means is we have to admit that we can't do it on our own. We don't like that. We like Bob the Builder, where he's like, can we do it? Yeah, we can. We like that mentality. That was like Bob the Builder meets Tim Taylor a little bit from Home Improvement. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have to admit. I always do that, don't I? Oh, man. We have to admit that whether we like it or not, we're not God. So, with this perfect provision that God gives to Israel. Israel goes forth and lives righteously obeying God's command and obeying Him around every corner. Sadly, that is not how the story goes. And we move to chapter 17, where we get to the thirst. Because inevitably, where there is hunger, there is going to be thirst. And we see... That come up. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 3. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? That's the question. That's what they ask. At some point, 
collectively as a whole, the whole nation of Israel like slipped and hit their head on a rock. Because I mean, you go from chapter 16 where it you know, basically ends off with, and God provided with the manna for 40 years. Like we see provision. We see this amazing story of creating, just putting food right in front of them. And the next chapter, and they got to another region. Despite having seen God do crazy, miraculous things, they still are furious when they get thirsty. It's just crazy how them and, and we can just forget so quickly the things that God does in our lives. Forget that He is our provider. So here in chapter 17, we see things heat up a little bit. Things escalate from just grumbling. We do see a little grumble. But it moves into quarreling. And quarreling isn't just like a heated complaint. This is like, quarreling is like, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm mad, and now I'm going to do something about it. It's not just mere complaining. It's about really getting ready to take some extreme measures. And it says that they test the Lord. So they're, they're ready to go. They're ready to throw down fisticuffs. And now it's not the Lord doing the testing, but Israel trying to test God. What is, what is, I mean, what does that look like to, to test God? I think we've all probably are guilty of it at some point. Basically saying something like, God, if you care, then you'll do this. God, if you're, if you're really there, then this wouldn't have happened. So do this. Make it up to me. God, I believe in you, so where's this that I want? We put him to the test. We basically want to make him a genie in a bottle where we want our wishes. We say, God, if you are God, then do this. And Israel is like, God, if you love, if, love us, if you're there, Give us water. It's all a matter of posture when you think about it. Right now, Israel has like the posture of like, what the heck? Like we've all had like the, what the heck mode. When you're just like, you're, you're ready to quarrel. You're like, I want this. What the heck? Where is it? Stuff's gonna go down. <laughs> In what the heck mode up here? That's the posture they have. And that's a posture that's so easy to take down. It's the posture of entitlement. Where if you don't get what you think you deserve, what the heck? But the posture that God desires is not a posture of give me. I'm not saying we can't ask for things, but it's a posture of humility. It's a posture of recognizing who exactly is God. And so often when we take puff our chest out. We want to be God. We want to control Him and say, this is how you should be doing it. I've got all the bright ideas. But He desires a posture, of one of humility that communicates, Lord, we've seen You provide before. We know that You are good. We know that You love us. We are thirsty. And we want to drink. Help us. It's a big difference. It's essentially saying the same thing. We're thirsty and we need something to drink. But it's a completely different frame of mind. And it's not a posture that I can say, I take enough. 
my first instinct is, what the heck? I want this. And I go into that mode way more often. So instead of Israel looking upward for their provision, they try to take matters into their own hands. And in verse 4, it says, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Things are about to go down. Again, not mere grumbling. They're ready to kill Moses. That doesn't look like trusting in God. That is them testing God. We will kill Moses if you don't give us water to drink. How often do we put God to the test? We look at our circumstances. They don't meet up with what we want. So then we make our demands. We give God the old test. Well, here's what God does with our test. And I have here an official test. Official. This is the test Israel goes, water, make it happen. And God looks at it and he goes, oh. Boop. He throws out the test. And like a good teacher, he then takes his chalk and goes up to the chalkboard. It wasn't really a chalkboard. Um, and he goes to the chalkboard because chalk is way more intimidating than dry erase. And he starts giving them their own lesson. Like, you want to test me? All right, well, let me show you exactly what I'm going to do here. You're thirsty, right? You want water? Okay, so I'll give you water, but allow me to grant you it from the most impossible place ever. And we see verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall pass Strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God pours out water from a rock. Like a rock. If any of you guys have been to Washington Park in Albany, you've probably seen this. I, we were just there the other weekend. And like we are like, oh, is that Poseidon or Neptune, one of the Greek gods? And I'm, I got there, and I'm like... I think it's Moses. He is on a rock and water's coming out of it. Gotta be Moses. And I wasn't even quite sure about it. I still had to do a Google search just to make sure that that was Moses. Um, but I mean, we've seen rocks before. Like, I'm assuming maybe some of us have held rocks and tried to squeeze a rock, maybe if you like rock squeezing. And, I'm sure you've noticed that rocks are pretty solid. They're sturdy. They're hard. They're, they're rocks. And if you crack a rock open, nothing falls out of it because it's a rock. And so what God does is He says, okay, goodbye to your test. Let me show you how I can make water happen. I can take a rock and make water come out of it. If you're thirsty, watch what I can do. Trust me. He throws out their test and educates them on how powerful he is. As if the plagues and other miracles weren't enough. Once again, God had every right to throw them aside and just go, I'm done. But he patiently deals with their impatience and he perfectly provides for their needs. 
He gives them a lesson in theology, communicating. I created the earth with just the words in my mouth. You think I can't give you water? Well, let me show you. I'll make it come out of a rock. And he provides for their thirst. Do we get it? Do we, does, I mean, is that sinking in for us? When times in life just seem impossible, we can trust him. And I know it's, it's easier said than done. Most of the time when we're stuck in the deep, dark parts of life, the last thing we can really see is what would be coming on the other side. It's the last thing we can think about because we're just so stuck in this dark place. It's hard to see the big picture, the bird's eye view. And then years later, we finally we're out of that place and we can look back and go, oh, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing when I was stuck there. He is good. He did provide. I have plenty of those times in my life. Being here at King's Chapel was one of them. And I'll save that story. There are many of us stuck in dark parts of life today. I want to tell you, you can trust in God. He will pull you through it. And what I don't mean by He will pull you through it is I don't mean that He will make life easy. And I don't mean that it's just going to stop like that. But, what I do mean is that in God's providence, He will perfectly provide for your need. Not just in what we want, but what we need. The great hymn writer Mick Jagger said something similar to that. And today we do, we do have something that gives us the big picture point of view. We have something Israel didn't. In chapter 16 and 17, they didn't even have the Ten Commandments yet. But we have 66 books of the Bible that show us and demonstrate to us chapter after chapter, verse after verse, that God will provide. We have that. We have so many resources. We have not only the printed word, but we have it digitally on our phones, on our computers, and any translation you really want. So many languages, and yet we still end up in the same place as Israel. Right? We, we suffer from the, the same problems of lack of trust. But in this book, we can, we can see everything from creation in the beginning to the ruling and reigning Christ in the new heavens and the new earth at the end. We can see it. So as I read a text like this, so often personally where I'm at, and uh, anyone in my community group would have heard me say it last week when I'm talking about Israel, and my tendency is just to like say, what stupid people? My tendency is to just be like super judgmental and be like, morons. And then I got to pause, realize I'm me, look at myself and go, oh, what a moron. What an idiot. I'm no better than they were. They're sinners who take God for granted. So am I. I need grace. I need mercy just as they receive. And the good news of these chapters here are that they don't stand alone. They're not in the Bible alone but these are road signs pointing to what is to come. They're pointing to a greater and better bread of life. A greater and better water. 
Bread and water, not just for Israel, but for everyone who would believe. And that's going to bring us to the satisfaction. John six thirty two. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Jesus Christ is the better and greater bread of life. The greater and better bread sent from heaven. I think deep down inside, whether we want to admit it or not, we all have this longing that there's something more. There's something greater. There's something inside of us longing for fulfillment and satisfaction. We try to fill it with so many different things. We try to go down whatever sinful trail we want to try and fill it, and then we always end up coming up empty. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Spiritually. We watched, we watched that commercial at the beginning of the sermon. The Snickers. And at the end of it, it said, Snickers satisfies. Well, in cheesy Christian t-shirt fashion, I give you this. <laughs> I'm sure you, there's gotta be, there's someone walking around with that t-shirt on and they're like, I'm preaching the gospel. But they're not in what-the-heck mode. Don't misinterpret this stance. Um, But like Israel, no matter how much bread we eat, no matter how much water we drink, it never seems to quench the thirst of our souls. And so do we. what do we end up doing? We follow any which way we can to satisfy it. Jesus says He is the bread of life in chapter 6 towards the end. But in the beginning of chapter 6, there was a huge miracle that he did. He feeds 5,000 people with bread. So he gives them what they needed to satisfy their stomachs. He provided for their need. But then he tells them of the greater and better satisfaction of their need. It's like, I just gave you all bread from next to no bread. I am the true bread of life. And he says, I will satisfy. It comes back to identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone, anyone in Christ, I don't have it up there, um, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we eat of the true bread of life, when we partake and we trust in Jesus, we see an identity shift. Identity from being slave stuck in bondage to an identity of I'm free in Christ. Satisfied. Because of what He did on the cross. Not because of any of our own merit. His body was broken for you and for me. So that we could have life. Not as ones chasing after righteousness through our own works, but rather as ones redeemed by the Son. He took the ultimate test and His perfect passing grade was sufficient for all who would 
believe. So he is the greater and better bread. But it doesn't even stop there. 1 Corinthians 10.4. Paul says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ is both the bread of life and the rock. Now, he wasn't like the physical rock. He didn't like say, take form of rock. And then like water came out of him. But in a spiritual sense, he was with them from the creation of the world to the end of Revelation. We see Christ. And what Paul is communicating is that Christ was present. He was the one giving life. Part of the triune God. He was present in the desert, satisfying their needs then, and he is with you now giving spiritual food and drink. All throughout the scriptures, we see this word rock used to describe God. He's called the rock of our salvation. And just like the rock that we read about in Exodus 17, Jesus Christ, the rock too, was struck. He was struck by the staff of judgment through the cat of nine tails and through having nails placed through his arms and hung on a cross. He was struck so that living waters could flow. The living water of life could flow. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, proves himself to be the rock of salvation indeed. Christ went to the cross to take the judgment that we deserved. He was the rock struck in our place so that we could taste of salvation. Christ became thirsty on the cross cross, so that we could have our spiritual thirst satisfied. Dependence and trust in God is not something that began or ended with Israel. It has been the issue since Genesis chapter 3. Throughout the whole course of time, we've seen God patiently deal with the world's impatience, provide perfectly for our needs. And that perfect provision is Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, not our time, not our way, in God's timing, in his perfect way, through Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, the living water, the rock who was struck for us. Are you hungry this morning? Are you thirsty for something more? Take refuge in the finished work of Christ. Come and put your trust in Him so that in the deepest, darkest parts of life, you can say, it is well. Maybe life for you is super tough right now. I know not everyone in this room is like living on cloud nine. There are some tough things going on in people's lives. Maybe you just don't want to endure. But if you can take refuge in the rock of your salvation... In Jesus Christ. And know that you are in God's hand, the same hand that brought Israel out of Egypt and provided for their every need. And that you are bought with the precious blood of Christ. I pray that you would be able to say, you know what, life's tough, but I know that His hand will guide me. I know His hand will sustain me. It is well. I'm going to have the band come up and fight them up. And as I'm sure you can guess, we're going to sing it as well. How can we not? But before we open our mouths to sing, I just want to remind us that as we spend 
I want to spend some time in quiet meditation, examining our hearts. And if you haven't trusted in Christ this morning, I want to invite you to drink of living water. To take this time to get that relationship right with Him. If you've been quarreling with God, putting Him to the test, I want to encourage you to surrender the fight over to Him. Toss in the white towel. And when we sing together, remember we're not just singing words on a screen, but we are singing songs directed to God. And I want us to be able to sing honestly, not just sing for the sake of enjoying the song, but honestly ask ourselves, can I say it is well? Do I trust God enough to be able to say, it is well? I pray that we would be able to sing the words of this hymn this morning honestly. So we'll spend some time in, in quiet prayer after I, I close, and then Dave will lead us, and the band will lead us in it as well. Let's pray together. Father, it is my prayer this morning that King's Chapel and the people here, we would be a church who trusts. That would be, we would be a church totally immersed in the gospel and that we would just be able to live as a people who know God is in control. You're in control. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here in this place this morning who is in a tough spot, Lord, that you would comfort them, bring them peace. Lord, work on our hearts this morning. Transform us by your word that we have heard. Make us a people who love you and trust you. A people who don't want you to just fulfill our desires and our needs. But Lord, that you would be our desire. That we would see you as our need. And that at the end of the day, whatever the circumstance, that we would be able to say, it is well. We pray this in the precious name, the matchless name of Jesus, our rock. Amen.